0: Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. So, years ago, years, years ago, I was uh, invited to attend uh, the weekly uh, Rotarian Lunch. I, I think the, the Rotary Club meets at the Dell every as a Wednesday afternoon. Uh, and I think they were trying to recruit me as a member, I don't know. Rotary, we have any Rotarians here today? Okay, we've got, we've got a couple, yeah, all right. Uh, there are other service clubs, it's Service Club, Service Club, other service clubs in town, uh, Kiwanis, Optimist, Sir Optimist, Lions Club, all different organizations, oh, all good, good organizations, good organizations. Uh, but what struck me that day, as I was uh, as I was sitting there uh, enjoying my lunch and the fellowship around the table, a guy a guy stood up and he started uh, uh, pitching a, an upcoming program that that they were going to put on, and he was asking people to sign up to volunteer, you know, service organization. So sign up to 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 serve. And, and then he said, I'll never forget this. He says, we have way too many rhinos in our club. <laughs> and, the, and the Rotarians that are here are nodding their heads. And I'm going, rhinos, rhinos. It's this Rotarian in name only. Ah, okay. So I've started, uh, you know, I've thought about that, and I'm thinking about that as, uh, uh, as I do what I do, and uh, wonder if other service organizations have that same, have that same problem, and, and then I've said, does the church have that problem? Are there, are there rhinos in church? Religious in name only. Somebody first service said, no, they would be, they would be crinos, <laughs> Christian in name only. People that show up, and, it's, and so you've got to wonder, it's like, why would you be a part of an organization that, uh, whose central purpose is to serve, but then not be willing to serve? And then th- there's a term that is, uh, is uh, known in, in sociological circles called uh, free riders, that's F-R-E-E, free riders, R-I-D-E-R, riders, free riders, people who associate with various organizations because they want to be associated with them. Uh, They want people to see them there, maybe they're trying to make business connections, Uh, maybe they're trying to look good, I mean there's all kinds of reasons why someone would be a free rider, but as it becomes more and more difficult to be a part of that organization then when it when it starts to actually cost something that's when the free riders bail and so i wonder how you know would that be the same thing in the in the church today do we have people who are uh, religious in name only or christian in name only People who are free riders that uh, that associate with a uh, uh, with a particular church. By the way, I have a bulletin announcement for you. It has come to my attention that the Episcopalians have better donuts than we do uh, at our coffee service between between just so um, there. There are different reasons why you would be a part of an organization, but when the, when the pressure starts coming, when it starts costing a person to be associated or affiliated with a particular organization, people start peeling off. The free riders start leaving. And I think the same thing is true in, uh, in worshiping communities as well uh, across the country, but this it, is nothing new. This is it's a, it's a, a problem that we could probably trace back to the beginning of when people started to get together for any reason. And we see it, I think, in our scripture today. If, if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open them to the third chapter of the book of John. I'm going to introduce you today to the first Irishman in the Bible. His, his, name, his name is Nick O'Demus. <laughs> And and actually, I, I I don't want to start in the third chapter. I want to go back and start in the second chapter, uh, and and lead into it because we need to be reminded every now and then that chapter and verse numbers came much much later. And and sometimes we miss the continuity in Scripture uh, when we stopped when we stop reading or start reading uh, in places that somebody else decided. Well, this would be a good place to put a. A new chapter. So let's take a step back. And you'll remember chapter 2. We spent a couple of weeks in chapter 2. Jesus does his first miracle uh, in Canaan. uh, John records for us. He takes water and, and the stone jars that were at the wedding that were used for purification. Now it's important. It's important for us to understand first century Judaism the importance of those stone jars. Without the water, there would be no opportunity to go through the ritual of purifying yourself. Without purifying, so no water, no purifying, no purifying, without being purified, you couldn't have a relationship with God. No water, no purifying, no relationship, no relationship, no restoration. And no restoration, no kingdom, no glory, in Israel, of God restoring them to their former grandeur. So Jesus takes that, that, uh, uh, that ritual and turns it on its ear. Takes that water and turns it into wine. Foreshadowing uh, a sacrament that he would give the church. This cup is a new covenant poured out in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink all of you. So the idea of being purified through Christ is something that happens internally. It's not something that happens externally. It works its way inside out. And then we see uh, a little bit later, the next time uh, we see Jesus, he's in the temple, and he's turning over tables and driving out animals and basically upsetting people because they have turned His father's house into a marketplace. And why did people go to the temple? They went to the temple again in order to purify themselves, to deal with their sin. There was an acknowledgement that sin was in their lives. They needed to deal with it. And they were taught to deal with it through offering sacrifices at the temple. And we talked last week about our own temples. And the court of the Gentiles, and the court of the non-believers in our own lives. And, and, and how do we witness to other people about the reality of our faith? And, and you'll remember the, the leaders of the day, they challenged Jesus. They said, by what authority do you do these things? What miraculous sign do you show us to prove that you have the authority to do such a thing? And Jesus says, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. Again, foreshadowing a shift in the nature of purification and forgiveness. But then it goes on to tell us at the end of chapter 2, that while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs He was doing and believed in His name. But Jesus... Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew what was in all people. He did not need their testimony about themselves, because he knew what was in them. He knew what was in a man. And then a man of the Pharisees, named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish council, came to see Jesus at night. He came to Jesus at night, and he said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus, in reply, declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can that be? How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be, re- and, and, and be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Well, how can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher? Jesus said, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who, hates, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he or she has done has been done through God. An amazing portion of Scripture. And one we could spend a lot of time on unpacking. Beginning with Nicodemus, this Pharisee who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. A supreme court in the day. Made up of more than just Pharisees. We know of the, the, the four major sects of Judaism. There were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, there were the Essenes, there were the Zealots. There were actually other smaller groups. And what they did was argue with each other. They did not agree theologically with one another even though they were all Jewish. And it's probably pretty safe to say that they were all represented amongst uh, those who were involved in the Jewish ruling council. The the Sanhedrin is what it was called. Again, they're they're, uh, the equivalent of, of, of our Supreme Court. And it's interesting to note that the two major parties were the, uh, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And, and they had some significant theological, if not philosophical, differences. The Sadducees, the Sadducees were a group of people who believed that it was important for us to go along in order to get along. We are under Roman authority. The Romans let us continue to conduct ourselves, to believe what we want to believe, to do our rituals, to do our sacrifices, as long as we pay them their pound of flesh at tax time. Don't rock the boat. This is all we have. And the Pharisees said, no, this is not all that we have. There has to be more. Life doesn't make sense if there isn't more. We all live in a broken world. We see things that are unjust that survive. I'm mindful of the fact that there were people who lived their entire lives in slavery in in, in Egypt. They were born in slavery. They lived their entire lives in slavery. They died in slavery. With nothing but the promise of a faithful and loving God. There has got to be more. And in fact, there is. And the Bible speaks of it. And it speaks of eternity. In fact, we are told that we have eternity in our hearts. Created in the image of God, we have eternity in our hearts. Which means that if there is any justice, if there is a loving God, then there must be more than what we experience here in life. Thus, the belief in the resurrection. The Pharisees believed that. And the Sadducees did not. And here comes the joke. You know it's got to come. The difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees did not believe in life after death. Which is why... (laughs) Had to come. I'm glad you said it. I didn't have to. The Pharisees longed for the fulfillment of God's promise to restore Israel, as did the Sadducees. But they were looking for an earthly fulfillment. But they believed falsely that this would not happen until everybody got their ducks in a row. Everybody's got to do the right thing. You've got one person stepping out of line, you're blowing it for everybody else. So lots and lots of pressure to externally look good. You go to a wedding, you purify yourself. Because remember, no water, no purification, no purification, no relationship, no relationship, no restoration, no restoration, no glory of God, no kingdom of God in our midst. You go to the temple, it's the same thing. You offer up your sacrifice for the sin in your life, time and time again, and once a year on the Day of Atonement, you go and you offer that sacrifice for the sins that you didn't know you committed trying to, to get to the point to where we can experience the kingdom of God in our midst and the glory of Israel restored. Cue Nicodemus. Coming to see Jesus at night. Now a lot of, has been made of that and whether or not Nicodemus came at night because he didn't want anybody else to know that he was there. Or that he came at night because he had a long day and wanted to talk to Jesus. Maybe he was amused by the antics of Jesus in the temple. You know, the Pharisees, they were the legal beagles of the day. They were the rabbis. They were were in the synagogues. And so there was, you know, not competition, but so for Jesus to go into the realm of the temple and kind of shake things up a bit, well, it's good for you to be shaken up a little bit. John, the author of the Gospel, plays a lot with light and darkness. And so John could be making a philosophical statement, or a theological statement, that, that, that Nicodemus comes at night, Which, by the way, again, first appearance. Ready? Nick at night. (laughs) Huh? Okay, I know, I won't quit my day job. Um, But he comes to Jesus at night. He comes to Jesus in darkness. Remember, the commentary later on, or if you want to say that they're Jesus' words, interestingly enough, verses 16 through uh, 21, are they the words of Jesus or are they commentary by John Is he making a philosophical statement? Remember, there were no punctuation marks, no numbers, no verses, no chapters. The light has come into the world. People love darkness because they're the, the, instead of light because their deeds were evil. And yet, here is a man in darkness coming into the presence of light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And He comes to Jesus. And He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared to him, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Does that strike you odd at all? Could Jesus have stood there and listened to Nicodemus say, Rabbi, we, first off, who are we? We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Is there a question there? Or could Jesus have said, Well, hey, Nick, thank you so much for recognizing me and the work that I am doing. Maybe we can get together and have a cup of coffee when the sun comes up and chat more about these things. We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declares, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can can a man be born again when he is old? Nicodemus asks. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Again. Are are, are we surprised that, that Nicodemus, hearing Jesus say that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again, comes back and says, what are you talking about? You see, you go back to the verses uh, that begin or that finish the last chapter, verse 25 of chapter 2. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in him. Jesus knew what was in his heart. Jesus knew that Nicodemus longed to see the kingdom of God. So he's not surprised. That was the question that's burning in his heart. What are we doing wrong? How can we make this a reality? And Jesus says, Nick. I tell you the truth. And we need to understand that. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. Three times in this section, we read those words. Some verses, versions, they say barely, verily, or truly, truly. Whatever it is that it says, it doesn't really translate well. It's like, hey, this is important. Pay attention. I'm going to tell you something important. Pay attention. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. That's what Nicodemus wants to know. I mean, we're trying. We, we, you know, we, we, we tell all this, all, the, all the common people that there's, there's sin out there somewhere that we need to get cleaned up because if, as long as there's sin in the camp, we're never going to see the glory of God manifested in our presence. But the reality is, I know in my own life, I've got my own issues. And the reality is, We're doomed. We're not going to be able to pull this off. Is it a pipe dream? Is there any substance to the promises? Can we see the kingdom of God? I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now there's a phrase that people in our day or some people are not real comfortable with. "Oh my gosh, born-again Christians. Don't trust them." Really? People say, "I'm a born-again Christian. Are you? What does that mean?" It's become politicized, associated with the white, right, right wing of politics. Born again evangelical Christians, stand back, protect me, please. I remember when uh, Chuck Colson declared that he was born again Christian, and I just shook my head. Another celebrity, he's going to jail. He's going to jail for his involvement in the Watergate uh, scandal of the Nixon administration. I know that was before most of you were born. But uh, uh, I, I read that and I thought, oh my gosh, please no. I, but it turned out to be real. It turned out to be genuine. And I forgot to say that the first service. Somebody went out and said, Chuck Colson was a great man. And he, and he it was and he is. He... he, is, he, he he completely turned his life around and he has done and continues to do amazing things for the kingdom of God. Because you see, he understood what that meant, born again, you must be born again. And to say that you're a born again Christian is a little redundant. That's like somebody saying, I'm a single bachelor. Is there any other kind? Or how about I tell you about a three-sided triangle I found? Are there any other kind? There are other kinds of three-sided triangles? Other, other, other triangles that are not three-sided? What does it mean to be born again? Now, interestingly enough, there's a little bit of a play on words here, because the word born again could also mean born of above. But rather than interact born of above, Nicodemus focuses on born again. How can this be? Surely... A person cannot be born when they are old. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be reborn. He, he doesn't want to go with the possibility that Jesus is saying you must be born from above because that involves the Spirit and I'm struggling with the whole spiritual thing. I want to go with the reality right here here and now. And could He be saying, Jesus, are you telling me that it is possible for somebody to have a do-over? For somebody to get a second chance? And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. We worship the God of second chances. We worship the God of do-overs. And Jesus goes on to explain that. I tell you the truth. That no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. What did we see happen in chapter 1? But John the baptizer... There was a baptism of repentance. And you'll remember what John said. He says, I come and I baptize you with water, the water of baptism of repentance, but the one who will follow me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit whose whose thong I am unworthy to untie. So Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, hear me. There are two things at work here. Number one, you got to own it. You have to recognize your own sin. That's step one. And to be baptized in water. But that's only half of the story. The rest of the story is that you also need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit, like the wind. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know where it's going. But we certainly feel its effects. And the same with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moves in ways that we'll never fully comprehend this side of eternity. But we see it at work. But there are two parts to this. The first part, understanding that there is a problem. But just because you understand the problem doesn't mean that you're necessarily looking for a solution. I encountered Christianity for the first time when I was 15 years old. I went to a camp, a Christian camp. And I I, I heard the Gospel for the first time. I I sat there as a 15-year-old and I knew in my heart that what he was saying was true. That there were things in my life, even as a 15-year-old, that I was ashamed of. Things I hope my parents to this day never find out about. And I believed that I needed to deal with that sin in my life. And then he told me about Jesus. And I listened and my heart was moved. And then he led us in this prayer, Lord Jesus, I've sinned. I have done what is against you and I need help in my life. And I know and I believe and I trust that through Jesus Christ I can be forgiven. Please, Lord, forgive my sins. And come into my life. And I prayed that prayer. And then the guy said, okay, now I want you to I want you to Come forward. You've got to have to step over some people. It's packed. You're probably going to have to step over some people. It's going to be awkward, but this is the time to, to stand up and be counted. So I did. I went up front with, you know, probably 10, 15 other people, and you know what they did? They sang to us. They sang Happy Birthday. You know why they sang Happy Birthday? Because we were born again. It was our spiritual birthday. And I remember standing up there thinking, what in the world am I doing? And when the meeting finished, I went outside off by myself and I cried. I cried. I wasn't even sure why I was crying. And then about two weeks later, two weeks later, I got a phone call from the guy that operated our local little club that took us up there asking me if I would come to a, a banquet and give my testimony. I had no idea what a testimony was. I said, no, thank you. And I turned my back. And I went to work. I finished high school, and I joined the Navy. And it wasn't until eight years later, again, struggling in my own life, where I reflected on what had happened when I was 15 years old. And I said, you know what, that was then, but this is now. And I need to act on the knowledge that I have. I cannot be who God has called me to be apart from a relationship with Him that can only come through Jesus. And I was in. I mean, I was in. I jumped into a local worshiping community. I started, I started, I was playing music. I was in the worship team. I was doing, I was teaching uh, Sunday school. I, 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 I was doing cold call evangelism. I mean, if there was something to be signed up for, I signed up for it. I did it. Because I'd connected the dots. What does it mean to be born again? It means to understand the need for Repentance. But then to act on that. And then to say, Lord, here I am. Send me. To jump in and get involved. The challenges that we face today are Herculean. And I and I and I and I gotta tell you that there's a passage that we read in the first service from Ezekiel. Where's my Ezekiel passage? I thought I had it. Yeah, in Ezekiel 36. Therefore I say to the house of Israel, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, it's not for your sake, the house of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of My holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of My great name, which has been profaned among the nations. A name that you have profaned among them. But then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign God. When I show myself through you before their eyes, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You know, we... We read history and we we see that we repeat the same things that people have done before us. And I have to ask myself, how many times have we, the church, profaned the name of God among the nations? And I don't think there's a better example of it than what we have seen in the politicization of the church through words like evangelical and born again. Good words that have deep and rich theological meaning. But have been cheapened into bumper sticker theology and used as an excuse to pursue an individual agenda instead of the agenda of God. And Jesus goes on in his his commentary, in his in his comments to, to Nicodemus, when he says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life talking about the cross. We spent a couple of Sundays on the cross and the importance of the cross and what atonement means for us. Jesus is referring to an episode that happened in the desert when the Israelites were complaining. Have you ever heard people complain? I hear people complain all the time. They were complaining, and the snakes came out, and the snakes bit them, and they cried out to the Lord, what do we do? And the Lord told Moses to take a snake and put it up on a pole. And anybody who gets bitten can look up on that pole and be healed. Bitten by sin, we look to the pole and we are healed. Have you ever thought about what it would take to hang a snake on a pole? I mean, would you kind of try to balance it on the very tip top? A couple of years ago, I'm a little slower than most. A couple of years ago, I realized that the only way you could hang a snake on a, on a pole is to affix some kind of a cross piece. I think, I think when we get to heaven and we fully know that we'll see that that pole was a cross that Moses hung that snake on. Bitten by sin, just as the snake was lifted up, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him we'll have eternal life. That's the promise. And the promise is real and, and, and is present here today. We live in a broken world. Yes, we know that. But we still have opportunity through faithful obedience to live into God's kingdom. But we cheat ourselves from the abundant life that God promises us by being religious in name only. Christians in name only. To see the kingdom of God, we must be born again. Which means to have an understanding of our own brokenness and our own sinfulness and be willing to repent. And then to take the next step that says, Hear my Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And send me, use me for your kingdom, for your glory, and for your honor. Oof. A president of the United States once said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Ask not what your church can do for you, but what you can do for your church. For we are the ultimate service organization serving the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Because that's how much God loves us. And not just us, but everything that He has created. Sign up, show up, and participate. And we will experience the abundant life Jesus promises. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. It has come to my knowledge that the Episcopalians have better donuts than we do during their coffee hour. And, and, and you know, there are many reasons to leave a faith community and go to another one. Donuts is not one of them. Better to stay and agree to disagree and to work through the issues that we might truly understand what it means to be kingdom people living in the kingdom of God, celebrating the grace of That God has given to us through Christ. Because that's where we find the kingdom. And we are kingdom people. Not perfect people. But kingdom people. And it it strikes me that there may be somebody here today that has, has figured out what a 15 year old David figured out. That there's something not right in my life. And I know what it is. I'm just not yet willing to take that next step to address it. And if that's where you find yourself today, talk to me. Talk to somebody else that can share with you what it means to be born again. What it means to be filled with the Spirit. What it means to know that you can live in a forgiveness, the love and the mercy of God. Don't shortchange yourself. The promises are still good. The checks can be cashed. The kingdom is among us for those who faithfully serve their king.